All right, guys. Market news. Antopoulos writes to judge vouching for law teams suing Bitfinex for BTC manipulation. Um, so let's see here. Uh, do, 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 leave the class against. So, so yeah. So, okay. So I haven't, I actually didn't know this, but that's quite interesting. So Andreas uh, Antonopoulos, uh, if you don't know, is uh, well, a Bitcoin maximalist, I guess, uh, is the best, is a good way to describe him. Um, uh, but he, he, I guess he's going to join the prosecution as a witness against Bitfinex and its affiliates over alleged market manipulation leading to the 2017 bull, bull run. Okay. Um, so this, I believe, is a civil case, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, so this is a civil case, not the not the pending litigation uh, that's going through a grand jury right now um, with, with Tether and Bitfinex and a few other companies. Uh, so this is a civil prosecution so he's jo he's joining uh yeah to vow he's vow or he's joint he writes to oh he wrote to the judge sorry to vouch for the legal team the law team suing bitfinex not sure how much weight that vouch i mean you have a non-lawyer um from the industry vouching for a legal team i don't really get how that that's like that's like me saying this legal team is awesome to a judge i don't think the judge would give half a shit to be quite honest but hey i mean uh i, I guess it doesn't hurt but uh, I guess if, 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 if he was actually giving more of an expert testimony on how he could um, see that there was actually manipulation based on, I don't know, anal and analyzing uh, Bitcoin flows might be something uh, better that he could provide uh, to the prosecution. But uh... number two on a list of five from news from last week, crypto asset firm Amun launches inverse Bitcoin ETP. So an ETP, for those that don't know, is an electronically traded paper. So this is a bit ridiculous, right? So you take a digital asset and then you make an, 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 a paper version of it and trade it electronically. If anybody doesn't get the irony there, you might be in the wrong room. Um, anyway, so let's see. They uh, So finished product for traders. I bet you this is Switzerland. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Switzerland. You know, the guys in Switzerland, I, I really don't understand what they do in Switzerland. Switzerland... At, likes to think they're at the forefront always on finance, you know, financial products, but they build shit that no one wants that only really gets sold in Switzerland, maybe Austria, Germany, whatever. Uh, but the rest of the world could give, you know, they just don't care about. It. I mean, so again, it's a digital asset issuer who issues an electronically traded paper, a paper version of a decentralized asset built on electronic form that is basically um, a stand-in for the underlying fully digital asset. Anyway, obviously the idea here is that people that already trade ETPs will have will have already have an account. They don't need to get a wallet, et cetera. It's the same idea that people thought that when futures came out, it was going to completely change the market. And well, for the most part, it didn't. Um, so anyway, so another asset being traded, great. What do I think about that? I don't really care. Um, I think that until the, we, we need to mature the underlying market before any of these, um, let's say, synthetic instruments make any bit of difference to the market on a whole. Uh, number three on a list of five from last week, data shows 25 billion worth of Bitcoin and Ether held by seven crypto exchanges. Yeah, this is a no shit Sherlock comment, our new story. Um, Centralized exchanges hold a good amount of the available Bitcoin and Ether, considering they're the number one and number two asset in the world when you talk about crypto. 
Uh, and if you're going to do anything with them, the the the, the one of the well, one of the one of the only things you can do with crypto, let's be honest, is trade it. Because yeah, you can spend it. Yeah, you can go on websites and buy I don't know, you know, cards to go buy Starbucks coffee with it and uh, Amazon gift cards. But in reality, the vast majority of transactions that happen in crypto are based on trading, OTC trading. It's all OTC, by the way, guys. That's over-the-counter. Over-the-counter trading simply means there's no centralized counterparty. That means when you get a price, it's a price from a specific exchange and not from some centralized uh, pricing agency. So the entire market's OTC. Uh, and uh, obviously, if trading is the number one thing you can do with an asset, where do you think most of those assets will sit? Well, trading venues, obviously. So not much of a news here, to be honest. Um, you know, it just shows how small the market is still, 25 billion. Uh, that's not, I mean, that's a big number to me and you, right? Normal people. I don't have 25, but I'd like to have 25 billion. Sounds like a nice number to have in your bank account, you know, where you go to like into your mobile app on your bank and you can't even see your balance because it doesn't fit. That's probably, you know, it's probably something good to wake up to in the morning. Oh my God, it's zero. And then you scroll to the left and go, oh no, no, 25 billion. Okay. Still there. Still there. Um, so yeah, uh, point is that that should be much, that should be much larger. But the fact that it's a large portion of what's available, well, kind of makes sense to me. Uh, number four on a list of five from last week, Gemini becomes first ever crypto exchange to pass Deloitte's second level security exam. So when I first just read this, uh, what, it, what it tells me is, okay, that's interesting, I guess. Um, not sure that it makes any sense. Now, obviously, I'm pro-regulation. That doesn't mean I believe in all regulation. That doesn't mean I think regulation is awesome. It doesn't mean that I wish regulation was actually here. What it means is, is that regulation is here. And if you're not pro-regulation, eventually you get stopped. Um, and I, I know that you know all the people that look at big exchanges like Binance, et cetera, have their own opinion on that right now because they've never lived through any other similar circumstances. I have happened in FX. I've seen it happen in other markets, commodities, futures. Uh, even synthetics, where these things were previously unregulated or not regulated to to a full extent, let's say, um, and companies make a lot of money because they jump into those markets and then they don't get regulated or they're or they're not regulated to the extent that they need to be regulated, and eventually, well, shit crumbles, and all the power flows back up to the regulated entities. That's always what happens in finance. It's always what has happened. There's no reason it'll change now. Um, now, so they passed the Deloitte what's SOC two type two securities exam. Uh, so SOC is service organizational control. Uh, let's see. So it's by the, da, 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 da. let's see, apply for regulatory purposes, core business areas outside financial reporting. Uh, so yeah, it's based on compliance. It's basically, it's like getting, uh, everybody sees these, um, what is this ISO, right? So you see a lot of companies that say they're ISO. It's basically an audit on some type of process in your business. Well, this is an audit on how you're doing compliance or security compliance inside of a company. So they've basically been shown that they've passed this security audit, which is a good thing. Did they need to do this? No. Does it mean that they're fully secure and that they can't get hacked? No. Um, because most, for the most part, this type of exam doesn't include most of the type of security measures that would be needed from a pure technical standpoint to protect blockchain-based assets. Now, having said that, most hacks are not hacks, guys. Most it's not it's not like James Bond. Somebody's jumping into a system, and you see some guy sweating, and he's typing and typing and typing, and there's all kinds of shit going on on his screen, and he hacks into a system, and then you know steals all the money. That mostly happens in movies. Most hacking is social engineering. Somebody gets a phone call, somebody gets an email, they think it's from somebody else, they give access to something they shouldn't, 
Guy gets access, boom, game over. Somebody goes to uh, a Hilton uh, to a conference, uh, uses a public Wi-Fi that's called the Hilton free Wi-Fi, which happens to be the guy next to them's mobile phone. And on through the hotspot, steals access to their computer files uh, and gains access to, to their accounts. That's usually how hacks happen. So those type of hacks, for the most part, are probably covered to an extent inside of this, uh, inside of this, let's say, security examination or audit. So that's good. Did they have to pass this? No. Is it good that they passed it? I guess so. Um, I think it's more for PR. They're just trying to show that they're a legitimate organization, which, which is a good thing for them. Um, but I wouldn't see this as uh, groundbreaking. Um, lots of organizations pass this, and, and, and some are, are required to by law. So, you know, not many, I think probably no other crypto company has done it. Well, basically because they don't have to. Like I've said a million times, even good, even good people will do bad things if they're not forced to do good things. And that may sound ridiculous, but in reality, look, if it was, you know, if it's, if it's legal uh, to do things that you can make more money, which are illegal in other industries, then I guarantee you even good people in that industry will do it. You can see it happening in crypto all the time, right? Derivatives, for example. Derivatives should be illegal to trade without a license. It hasn't fully been applied. The, the, the red, red, uh, legislation hasn't been applied, but it should. Uh, and anybody with a brain that's outside, that's been in corporate, uh, not corporate, but sorry, but financial services before knows that. But they still offer the service because they make a lot of money doing it. So there you go. Number five on the list of 10. Uh, sorry, five on the list of five from last week. Austria crypto regulators stop, slap unlicensed operators with 200,000 maximum fine. Well, there you go. We should start seeing more and more of this. Um, kind of surprising that it came out of Austria first. I haven't really seen this type of this level of fine yet in the industry, but um, I, I would expect to see many, many, many more of these. Um, so let's see. Austria crypto regulators have announced that crypto firms cannot operate under until they obtain a license from the nation's financial watchdog as the new anti-money laundering regulations come into effect. That would be anti-money laundering directive five, uh, AMLD five. Um, crypto assets, however, do not fall under this regulation. They remain subject to the e ESMA, which is the European Securities and Markets Authority current restriction. Uh, Austria crypto regulators have also advised investors to stay to always verify the company's identity. Okay, they will impose a maximum fine of 200,000. So apparently, I don't see that they have fined anyone, but that they're saying that they will. But look, that's what regulators are supposed to do. That's them doing their job. So, you know, carrying on. Number one on the list of five from this week, North Korea used LinkedIn and Telegram in USD 7 million crypto exchange hack. So what did I just talk about? Social engineering? Well, there you go. Do you think that they hacked into a crypto exchange by sweating at night, uh, you know, drinking lots of coffee and pounding on keyboards using LinkedIn and Telegram? Of course not. What they did was they went into Telegram, probably find out who was working at the company, got into the LinkedIn profiles probably made it seem like they were getting a contacted from someone through Telegram that worked at the company, CEO maybe, and got access to information they shouldn't have, gained access to cold, hot, or whatever wallets, and stole the money. So again, um, just puts a point on it that when people think about crypto security, they have this idea in their head, or just cybersecurity in general, that um, you need to be super tech savvy to protect your assets. You don't. When it comes to blockchain, obviously you have some type of technical, you know, you need to have some type, you know, cold wallets, hot, all these types of systems, hot wallets, warm wallets, wallets that can only send to certain addresses, wallets that only receive from certain addresses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these things help and they are technically are, are related to tech. That's for sure. But at the end of the day, uh, it's 
really all about making sure you have internal policies that stop these social engineering hacks from working. So if you, you know, if someone internally gets an email from me that says, Hey, pay this uh, amount of Bitcoin to a wallet. They don't do it. You know why? Cause we don't send emails asking people to send money out of our wallets. We also don't do that via telegram. We also don't do it via LinkedIn messages. We also don't do it. Uh, so, you know, again, these are simple techniques, but this is usually how people get hacked. I mean, I would say high, high percent. I don't know what that percent is. If you ask for my opinion, it's higher than 80. It's probably even higher than 90% of all hacks start or end with social engineering. Number two on a list of five from this week, how the long tail of coronavirus might slow Bitcoin's hash power growth. This sounds like quite a leap. Let's see what Coindesk has. I have to read this one. May impose a longer-term impact on Bitcoin network mining activity at a time. Okay, how, how are we saying this? Chinese manufacturers. Okay, so they're saying that uh, most miner makers have been affected by the outbreak since their factories are based in cities. Okay, with this, during the extended vacation, almost all production will be halted. Okay, so less miners being produced, less miners going on the market, or at least for a certain amount of time meaning that you could affect the actual hash growth, I guess. I mean, uh, but in reality, I, I don't imagine. Look, I think this whole coronavirus is quite overblown, to be quite honest. I don't know what everybody else thinks. But um, at the end of the day, I think uh, I, I don't see such a lasting effect. A bubble of a month or two or three, I think most of that hash power will probably be eaten up by, by older machines, maybe coming back online. Uh, cloud mining or whatever, um, especially if the hash rate tends to has has a has a spike down, where people assume they might have a better chance of actually getting their old miners or their old miners back online. Number three on the list of five from this week: hackers stole an encrypt stole an encrypted data of five U.S. law firms demand two crypto ransoms. Again, more hacks this time from law firms. Okay, guess how they probably did it? Social engineering. So they're demanding crypto. Now, it's funny because crypto is pretty traceable, right? I don't know what, let's see what kind, what, does it say what kind of crypto they ask for? Are they asking for like Dash or Monero or something like that? No, Bitcoin. So demanded two 100 Bitcoin ransoms from each firm, one to restore access to the data, one to delete their copy instead of selling it. So it's always funny to me when people, when, when blackmailers steal data and then try to charge you to delete it. I mean, they're already obviously so so much so trustworthy of individuals you know, that you would trust that if you pay them, they will delete it, right? Yeah, bullshit. So anyway, they, they asked for Bitcoin, which is pseudo-anonymous, which means they probably would get caught. Um, if the law firm is, is savvy enough, maybe they would just pay them to try to catch them. I don't know. Uh, actually, this is, let's see, this is in the U.S., where, by the way, the U.S. government's one of the biggest holders of active holders of Bitcoin. I think they were just about to auction off 4,000 Bitcoin um, that were being held by some agency. Um, so maybe they should just spend, they should ask the U S government to actually pay the hundred Bitcoin and then they could just trace down, uh, the owners, uh, of that Bitcoin or the new owners of that Bitcoin and throw them in jail. Just shows that, well, why the guys are smart enough to social engineer a hack to steal, uh, from U S law firms. They're not smart enough to know that Bitcoin's probably one of the worst cryptocurrencies to accept, uh, their, their ill-gotten gains through. Number four on a list of five this week. Consensus acquires U.S. broker-dealer and bid to tokenize trillion-dollar muni bond market. That's the municipal bond market, for those that don't know, muni being short for municipal. That's basically all the bonds that small small, small and large municipalities around the country. Um, so when, let's say you know a town wants to build new roads, put up new traffic lights, whatever. Well, they sell bonds. Most of the minimums on those bonds, I think 
the vast majority are are, are quite high, 10,000, 10, maybe to 100,000, maybe even higher, though some might be 5,000 or so. Um, I don't know what the average low is on those. Or, or the, or, but at the end of the day, um, it's a huge market. It's in the trillions, as said. Um, it's it's difficult to get into them because of the, the, the relatively high value uh, of the lowest amount you can invest in those bonds. There's really no secondary market. There's definitely no retail secondary market. So I assume coins, coin census here or consensus here is, is assuming um, that tokenizing it and allowing to fractionalize those bonds would, would open up uh, more access uh, to retail investors. Um, so they're still not talking about settlement of those things. Now, obviously, in the U.S., transfer agent reg registration is not that difficult to get, but I don't think it's mentioned here. Um, they're simply talking about having a broker-dealer license, opening up the secondary market, but they would still need to settle those somewhere. Uh, and as far as, uh, I guess, Securitize now and a few others do have those uh, registrations, though I don't know how active they are um, in actual settlement. I think, um, but uh, but anyway, they're go look, Going down the right path, you see a lot of I, to, just just to bring up a point on this. I just saw that Sony just invested in Securitize. A lot of companies are now coming on to this idea that uh, tokenized capital markets make a lot of sense, um, and consensus is just one of many that's now coming into that market. Number five on the list of five from this week: Bitcoin's uptrend is is uptrend is gathering pace, and many altcoins are surging too. Uh, Look, guys, I don't know why people get so excited about these uh, ebb and flows in Bitcoin and back into altcoins. If I look right now, just checking on pricing here, um, what are we at? 8,900 euro for Bitcoin, so um, uh, roughly 96. So we're still under 10K. Everybody thinks, you know, 10K is some magic number. If we hit it, we're going to spike up to 13 or 15 or I don't know what other nonsense. Uh, look, these ebb and flows are natural. I still don't. There's no such thing as a, there's never been a bull market in history that is underneath the most recent high watermark. Uh, most recent high watermark for Bitcoin, everybody knows it's around 20K. Until we reach there, we are not in a bull market, guys. We could be, we are in a bear market, we are in a bear market correction. Um, we are still, we will always be in a correction or a range until we break the high watermark. That's it. Uh, we could be in a bull trend, but we're still inside a bear market. Uh, so anyway, we'll see how this, this flows. The, the, you know, we used to have this correlation between Bitcoin and everything else. Everything, when Bitcoin moved, everybody said, oh, Bitcoin's going up. Everything else is going to go up too. So people would just pump money into both sides. Why? Well, um, immature market, immature traders, not, not enough experience to understand that there should be no correlation when there shouldn't be. There's no reason to, to put money on both sides. Now that we start to see that this, this, these, these retail traders actually have a bit of knowledge now, we see reverse correlation a lot of times. Where basically you see Bitcoin going up, so people are selling altcoins, shit coins, whatever you want to call them, and then pushing that money into Bitcoin. And then once Bitcoin stabilizes or uh, starts to retreat, same thing happens in reverse. People get out of Bitcoin, go back into micro and mid caps, and those shoot higher. So uh, this is this is natural, guys. Um, no reason to get excited about price movements. The one thing that'll kill you, by the way, as a trader is to get excited about price movements. You should never be excited about price movements because just because it's going up doesn't mean you're making money. Even if you're holding it, you haven't made money until you actually cash out. So the trade is what makes you money. At the end of the day, whether it goes up or down, don't get emotional about it. Just have a plan and stick to it. That's it. And always stick to the plan. I don't care if you, if, if you have a plan and that plan fails five times in a row, 10 times in a row, if that's your plan, you stick to it. You can always go back and revisit the plan. That's for sure. But if you, you know, if you keep, if you over-optimize your plans as well, you will lose in the long run, right? Uh, the best traders in the world have a plan and they don't ever optimize. The only thing they may tweak 
is maybe entries and exits around volatile arranging markets. But if you have a plan and you keep changing it or optimizing it, then simply you're over-optimizing, you end up losing anyway. See you next week. Cheers.